you know about the Ian M. Banks book, The Player of Games? No. So basically, Ian M. Banks is, has most of his science fiction books is in this thing called The Culture, which is this like sort of libertarian, socialist, post-scarcity space utopia thing. And The Culture, they send this guy into a society that, they, that they're not happy with, which is a very hierarchical society. But the hierarchy of the society is all based on a game. And every year they have a tournament of the game and whoever is like emperor of this planet and then all the ranks below him is determined by how good you are at this game. If you had to live in that society, what game would you be rooting for to be the game? Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 4. <laughs> how would that be played competitively? Speedruns. <laughs> I would hate to live in that world. Your planet sucks. <laughs> yeah, too bad, fucker. I'm the emperor. Well, actually, I wouldn't be the emperor, but I'd certainly be, I'd like certainly be in the highest really caste. Seriously. Yeah, you'd be an elite. Yeah, you'd be definitely have a lot of people to sneer on. Whereas you'd be in the mines. <laughs> Happily. No zombies in the mines. No one in the mines talks about fucking zombies. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, they're not zombies in Resident Evil 4. This is, this is exactly... Progress. This is like why I'd be in the mines be like, I don't even want to join Elite. Did you hear what Jack just said? <laughs> oh, it's actually Parasites. It's not like Resident Evil 2. Let, oh, let me just dig up salt, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. I'm Sean Morley. And I'm Jack Evans. And this episode is about how games teach us to think. Don't hate the player, hate the game, is a thing people say. I've got to be honest, sometimes I hate the player. Me too. And I'm the player. <laughs> <laughs> you think I oversold that? <laughs> <laughs> From old classics like Ready Player One, to modern marvels like Jumanji and Bagatelle. Games teach us how to behave within a narrow framework based around destroying our friends. This Friday night, if you're listening to this when it goes out, uh, is the premiere of Escape the North on Twitch. Sean, myself and numerous other good eggs have made a North of England simulator where the world is both even worse and a lot more fun. It is the only game online where people are actually encouraged to work with other strangers and not just say sick of Blyat in the chat box before logging off. Thank you to everyone who supports the pod through Patreon or leaving nice reviews on Apple Podcasts, which helps other people find us. We do very much appreciate it. If you have not yet done those things, please consider them. But if you are barren pocketed, we also accept the currency of kindness. So please share the podcast and recommend it to all your friends so your good friends at Mando's here can play the biggest game of all, podcast engagement analytics. For whatever reason, I've been reading about Yu-Gi-Oh! lately, uh, the card game. The card game? 
and anime show. Okay. Right? Yeah. Did you have the same belief that I did that Yu-Gi-Oh was like Beyblades and Transformers uh, and Pokemon, Pokemon and yeah, yeah. that there was a game, a card uh, game, uh, and then an anime spin-off was made in Japan and yeah, then yeah, yeah. exported to the West and its only job mm. was to sell the toy, yeah. which is the card game. Exactly. Like Thomas the Tank Engine was designed by British Rail to sell trains. Yeah. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was designed to stimulate the turtle industry. And it did. And it's still and it booming. Did, and there's turtles fucking everywhere. And we still can't get them out of the sewers. Nor should we try. They're too yeah. powerful. Too many people flushed them. How did the rat learn Kung Fu in the first place? Do you know what I mean? I always think that most of the heavy lifting in the TMNT wider universe has yeah. been mainly trying to explain with this rat. Yeah. Well, because the rat, this rat and the little and brain. Shredder, Shredder and the rat had. They got beef. Some relationship as well. Yeah. Do you think it was like Shredder's pet rat? I think it. I think maybe it was. Is that, actually, is that like the canon? We're shooting our mouth off it, but I think it's something like that. It was a rat that belonged to someone important yeah. and then got mutated into the mutation to Splinter. Like the Bebop and Rocksteady, who are like a rhino and a hog, a warthog. They were introduced only for the actual animation. They were originally a part of... Ah, okay. So that's why they don't make sense. They're nothing, yeah. The turtles and the rat seem about the same expansion of whatever mutagen radio yeah. radioactive thing they don't fit I, in the world very well I, you know i think if you know if they are a hog and a rhino i feel like a rhino would get a rhino would get bigger it wouldn't get smaller and yeah bebop and rocksteady are just bad bulk and skull clones yeah, i'm, I'm yeah, gonna say yeah, it yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. gonna say it i'm not scared <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about Yu-Gi-Oh, right yeah. so it doesn't follow that formula right so what Yu-Gi-Oh was originally a manga about a teenager who uh. had um, the spirit of a pharaoh inside of him. And this pharaoh was insanely good at games slash gambling and would just play games what? and win. Often bizarre, made up on the spot, heavily violent game. Like they play air hockey, but with a bomb. And this manga was so popular, they kept having to invent new random things for this pharaoh to play. And they came up with a card game. And the card game was just there as like a MacGuffin for an episode, just a kind of plot construct. So the card game has no internal consistency or any clear rules. But people loved this card game, invented temporarily to serve a plot point so much, they demanded that someone make the game so they could play it. And then that game was so popular that the publishers of the manga got back to the author and said, you need to reboot this entire series and make it about just this card game, which was a spin-off from a few episodes of this manga. And it, now it all needs to be that. And then they made an anime based on that. And that's how it got to the West. That's nuts. Mm, it's crazy. You get, That's nuts. Mm, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> I love that. So Yu-Gi-Oh! was actually someone's like real passion project that had like proper law. It wasn't just a corporation being like, we need to sell these cards. Yeah. And it was violent. Yeah. 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 I guess stuff becoming less violent when it reaches the mainstream audience isn't that mad. But Yu-Gi-Oh! like killing people with air hockey bombs just feels like such a departure from like blue eyes, white dragon. Maybe there'll be, <laughs> maybe there'll be a, a, a reboot, like a gritty 18 plus Netflix Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. I can't wait. Adult. What piece did you play as when you played Monopoly? Terrier. <laughs> Mate, I'm Terrier. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, little dude. I think uh, there are just these certain things that people can sense about each other, which determines, it like locks in whether you can be friends with certain people. <laughs> and you'll never know what it is until 
today. <laughs> Did you have pieces that you've really felt disdainful of and were like, I can't believe I know someone who'd pick that piece? Not big on the iron. Iron, well, yeah, the iron's pretty bad. I didn't like the car either. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the car just because I like the idea of like a car managing or owning a hotel. Oh, that is really funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing, Monopoly, right? Monopoly sucks. But you think it's going to be good because, like, an iron can own a train station and a dog can go to jail. Yeah. Like, if you explain that to someone, you're like, wow, it sounds like some, like... Yeah, it sounds like you're pitching a dream at someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're telling me a thimble can bankrupt an iron. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Not only can a thimble bankrupt an iron, if you're playing as the thimble, that is your objective. Yeah, that is like your modus operandi. I think the whole joke here is we're imagining people actually role-playing <laughs> when they play Monopoly. And they're like, oh, Thimble's just entered a beauty competition. <laughs> and won second prize. Yeah. To what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hoover. Yeah, paperclip. <laughs> <laughs> Clippy the Microsoft paperclip. Yeah, that thing with uh, if you're designing a game, it has to be, you have to have like a log line for a game, don't you, where it explains it in a couple of sentences or whatever. Yeah. Okay, listen, you're an iron and you need to bankrupt a thimble. Yeah, but you do it indirectly through the acquisition of a finite amount of property. And it's the end of that sentence where you really go, oh, it's not fun after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's the truth of the. Do you know the woman who originally designed it tried to make it shit? Yeah, she was... Uh, She's like a feminist leftist. Lizzie Maggie. Yeah, she called it the landlord's game. Yeah, and it was huge with Quakers, you know? Quakers went yeah, yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Quakers and critique of capitalism was a big overlap. The original Monopoly was designed... It had two game modes, Yeah, Monopoly and Anti-Monopoly, and the Monopoly was one of the game modes where you just tried to bankrupt everyone else and acquire all the land. The experience of the game was literally supposed to be unpleasant for as a means of a political message like it was it was like a socialist game to teach people that capitalism as it existed then was bad yeah and i feel like there's like there's a message within the game but there's also a pretty clear message of that within the history of what happens to the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah so some guy stole the idea from lizzie Maggie, sold it off to the parker brothers that became hasbro uh, and now they have the monopoly on monopoly <laughs> pretty ironic so yeah, Parker Brothers took it, who then became Hasbro, and they pointed at someone they knew and said, this guy invented it. And he said, yeah, I invented Monopoly. And he became the first millionaire game designer ever. <laughs> Innovation pays off, guys. Just take, a, take some other woman's idea and say it was yours, and you can become a millionaire. Yeah, and Monopoly's gone. Like Monopoly is like the board game. Do you think? Other than maybe chess or something like yeah. that. Monopoly is the the modern board game. Because there's loads of versions of it. There's like Lord of the Rings Monopoly, Star Wars Monopoly. I don't know why though, because everyone hates it. The Monopolies are the, insane. Do you want it like you know how there's a monopoly for every major intellectual property franchise and there's a monopoly for every major city? Yeah. If you look up Opoly board game on Amazon. You get Catopoly, Farmopoly, Shepherdopoly, Boxopoly, Wineopoly, Bibleopoly, Horseopoly, Pugopoly, Dogopoly, Fishingopoly, Gardenopoly, Photoopoly, Cocktailopoly, Queenopoly, Westieopoly, Chicagoopoly, Hobby Games Earthopoly, Care Bearsopoly, 
late for the sky Los Angeles Opoly, Holdemopoly, a kind of mixture between Texas Holdem and Monopoly. <laughs> Uh, I just want to read out a few more. Bugopoly, Ponyopoly, Zombieopoly, Puppyopoly, Shitzuopoly, Penguinopoly, Dashandopoly, Jacksopoly, Christmasopoly, Seattleopoly, Frenchyopoly, Booopoly, a ghost monopoly, Labopoly, Dinoopoly, Wild Animalopoly, Wild Animalopoly, Chihuahuaopoly. <laughs> no, click on Wild Animalopoly. Yeah, you want Wild Animalopoly? An entertaining game with some wild twists. Instead of buying property, players become caretakers of animals. Instead of rent, players pay meal fees. <laughs> <laughs> Player collects four essential elements, land, water, food, and clean air, and trades them for a habitat where your animals can survive. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, I've got loads of fish and loads of clean air. Can someone trade me? <laughs> Whoa. It's all fun and games until you land on Hide From Predator. Then it's time to run to hiding and you're out for three turns. That's that's written, that's slightly clunky game mechanic is written with an exclamation mark on the back of the box. That's grim. And someone tweeted at us absolutely ages ago. I can't remember who because Twitter's search functions are bad, but thank you for tweeting at us. Monopoly Socialism. It's a subtitle... Winning is for capitalists. A hundred years after the original Monopoly was made to criticise capitalism, the exact same argument with the very similar mechanics are used to criticise socialism. <laughs> right, that, that's, so this is, this is the blurb. The adult board game, yeah. so that makes it sound like it's going to be like a... Sexy board game. Sexy or have loads of like swearing in it, like a kind of Cards Against Humanity <laughs> Like a thing. kind of thug kitchen monopoly. Yeah, like you get a community chest and it just calls you a pedo. <laughs> or like your friend has written some slur in there in, in Sharpie. <laughs> no, they wouldn't write them themselves. The way Cards Against Humanity functions is just it has the insults ready made so you can extricate yourself of any blame for doing any slurs because they're just, they're already, you're playing a fun card game, right? Yeah, how could I have known that this game would have a slur in it based solely on its advertising blurb? <laughs> <laughs> so this adult board game is a hilarious adult twist. That's two adults in the same sentence. Twist on classic Monopoly. This adult party edition, third, third mention of adult. What party, what adult party involves playing Monopoly socialism? You never had that kind of party where you in a caravan and it's raining and you haven't planned anything. <laughs> <laughs> this I just whip out with there happens to be socialist monopoly in there because the caravan park you're renting is owned by a kind of mad right-wing conspiracy theorist who has put socialist monopoly in all yeah. the caravans. Everyone so, in the family is wearing a ghillie suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's always raining. They, because they, because he's got a rain machine above all the caravans. Yeah, he's into sort of like geodesic dome, but the dome needs to be washed constantly, and all the suds are falling on the caravan. <laughs> Very clean though. This oh, adult party edition. Clean. No one's got an immune system in this. Dome. <laughs> the adult party edition of Monopoly game of the Monopoly game has players moving around the board, contributing to community projects. Ellipses, unless they can steal projects to get ahead. What? Oh, no, I think it's saying, like, under the bureaucracy of the Politburo, everyone needs to justify their own, like, 
benefit towards okay. the five-year plan yeah, by yeah, advancing yeah. a project. And so everyone's going to cut throat, try and show that they're doing better than others by sabotaging their neighbours. See, you're talking about like five-year plans or Politburo here, but that suggests that there's any historical... This is in the same category of Orwell's 1984 of like thing right-wingers can point out and go, you want to know about socialism? You want to play Monopoly socialism or you want to read George Orwell's fictional 1984, then you'll, then you'll know. Chance cards can abruptly shake things up with things such as vegan meatloaf. Why, Why would, would that vegan shake... meatloaf cause anyone any problem? What? I don't get it. What's what's socialist about vegan meatloaf? It's just because the right have like three jokes and one is veganism. It's like in... Oh, uh, spitting like image a, vegan profiteroles, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like spitting image just released that clip. It'll one trailer and the trailer is ostensibly trying to criticise anyone who's in government, but like it just goes hard on the same students who are locked inside their university hall. Yeah, fuck them, right? Punch up. Get them. We'll, we're spitting images, is it like meant to like take shots at the powerful by somehow harnessing their image and like lampooning it? And as much as I don't like that, why would a show that is built around that premise just take side swipes at random unnamed straw men students? So there's going to be a chance card where you get vegan meatloaf and this is bad. You know, like Monopoly Star Wars and Monopoly Lord of the Rings are for people who like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Monopoly mm. Wild Animals Opoly is for wild animals, I presume. Right? <laughs> Can you imagine you get Star Wars Monopoly and it's like a critique of Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just pick up a community chess card and it says Boba Fett sucks grow up <laughs> yes, go, go, read another film <laughs> imagine being trapped in in the caravan with your uncle and your uncle's brought this round and you're like 15 he yeah. wants to play it and he's laid it out and you're like i know monopoly yeah. i'm not very politically engaged but your uncle's like red-faced and being like well, he's hooting and hollering he can't sit still in his seat <laughs> and every time every time he draws any card he like laughs really performatively and the whole caravan shakes side to side and you know that something's up but you can't understand why this game which is a less fun version of the norman monopoly which normally we don't even like playing we've agreed not to play monopoly with this guy anymore but now he's red-faced and every time something makes him laugh he looks at you and gets angry when you don't laugh as well that's who this game is and then, for. And then the caravan park owner slams against the window and goes you're learning boy <laughs> are you learning the game you're learning about socialism's bad <laughs> i think i would play an actual socialist monopoly if you i think it could be done and i'm not talking about like the original that you know the landlord game i'm saying like tweak this you know like you're trying to have a socialist state and then the community cards instead of being like some bullshit about vegan meatloaf it says shit like sanctions have stopped you importing medicine the cia have armed a fascist militia to overthrow you it's just being like a dwindling community that can't really live in the world because of external forces in other countries just destroying it from the outside <laughs> while inside its own ideological virtues <laughs> have to start crumbling in order for simple survival to take precedence that, what i'm well, saying that would is, be a fun it sounds like jamestown the board game no i think it, it, jonestown it, even it's previous mandatory redistribution party episode the morley candidate the oh, board God, game yeah, you're right. <laughs> The closest thing I've found to, like, not socialist, I guess, but, like, competition-free, cooperative monopoly mm. Mm. is Bibleopoly. Bibleopoly? So Bibleopoly has looked at monopoly, enjoyed no aspect of it, but nevertheless used it as the foundation for a different board game. <laughs> 
There's no form of competition. There's no uh, form of doing anything. There's no zero-sum element right. to it. Okay. You work together to build a church. There's almost no jeopardy except for one card you can draw called the abyss. <laughs> but other than that, you just uh, you do community service to build cornerstones to to basically you solidify your faith by yeah. doing services and acts of community that build the cornerstones of your faith, and those cornerstones build a real but metaphorical church. And once the church is complete, you just stop playing. Done. Fuck. I don't, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound fun. Dramatically unfun. That is too far the other way, right? You need, I, you need the enemy for, for mm. a game, for a game mechanic. I'm not saying you need yeah. the enemy generally. <laughs> that is some 1984 shit. But I think saying, that's the real it, problem is that yeah. people are sort of, that's the problem with the Monopoly style thing where it's supposed to reflect society, but also be fun. Because I think chess where you just move the pieces around until you decide to stop would never take off. But, a life where you just move the pieces around until you decide to die sounds utopian. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't think you should build a game that models society or vice versa. I don't want competitiveness built into whether or not I can get water. But if I, if I was playing Water the Game and we all just have a lot of water, yes. I would argue it's not really a game. Although some people go, oh, it's just a water simulator. I need to consider it part of the indie games community. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to, I'm not going to die on that hill. But to me, it doesn't provide the basic competitive elements of a game. Yeah, you need either an enemy or a context of like like a ticking clock or Jeopardy or mm. something like that. Do you know Guy Debord, which is what I called uh, Guy Debord, the situationist guy? I'd only ever read his name, so I have no idea how to actually say it. <laughs> I mean, I mispronounced the the inventor of the... Uh, I said Lizzie Maggie and you said something else. So one of us has already... We've already demonstrated that within this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how... English doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Yeah. Guy Debord, he, in the 60s, tried to come up with like a socialism okay. game. Him and his uh, Alice Becker-Ho lived in like a remote French village and spent decades honing this game that they called the Game of oh, War. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> It's like a war uh-huh. game about developing strategic thinking. And then I found out a few years ago, John McDonnell tried to get his staff to play this to prepare for a Labour government. How do you get it? How do I get this game? <laughs> yeah, right. How amazing. So someone's tried. One circle I can't quite square is, if you are playing a game with another person and you are both playing something and you're in direct competition either I'm going to achieve the objective yeah. or you're going to achieve the objective and I'm going to work against you. I don't know how you yeah, can yeah. spin that fundament of game design to be something that won't teach anti-socialist, non-cooperative virtues. Well, you need to play my card game, Class War. Yeah. Basically, what I want to say is that games have a base and superstructure problem. Yeah, okay, okay. If you're teaching people, I need to get points and they need to not get points, you are teaching people to fight against their co-players. And I think that a lot of people have tried to make games where you are the anti-hero and that kind of thing's being parodied. But I think that we have learned, or we should have learned in the late 90s and early noughties, that there is no anti-hero bad enough that people won't just sympathise with them. Whether it's Patrick Bateman to Shadow the Hedgehog, <laughs> people will just go in for the person they're not supposed to like. Tyler Durden is a hero, those people. Tyler Durden, yeah. It it made me think about sportsmanship, because sportsmanship is exactly the same kind of instinct in a game 
as like the good capitalists because you create this idea of like this game fundamentally like all games promotes people doing whatever they can as long as it doesn't get refereed out or isn't explicitly outlawed by the rules they'll do whatever they can to win right because that's what the base of the game promotes right that's how the the relationships within the game base and superstructure is just the material elements and their relationships that go on within a system be it a society or whether it be football whether it be chess do you need to take the king or do you need more money to buy food Uh, and the superstructure is all the ideas on top of that that kind of justify that. And these are self-reinforcing ideas in a dialectical loop from now until infinity. Mm. And certain games have this idea of sportsmanship, which is, oh, the rules aren't like perfect, but you want to just go along with the idea that we're playing to have fun and you're not supposed to like upset other people just to win the game. However... I would say in a lot of my experiences as someone who has played games <laughs> by living on the earth, people have upset uh-huh. people to win and do regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Some people see yeah. upsetting people as almost like it's a bonus point towards their victory score. <laughs> Yeah, there's some. I've encountered some real nasty shits playing games, mm. and I've. I think I've got gamer rage every now and. I think I've more got gamer rage in video games than something about video games, online video games. Is it the most toxic place? It's the most toxic place I go. It is the most toxic yeah, place yeah, I yeah, go. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah, game yeah, I play yeah. now, which is like online, I play Rocket League sometimes. I haven't played online. I rage at my own limitations right. in single player games. Whereas what I'm thinking of is like <laughs> any game where someone can communicate with you and they will go really... The other day I yeah, was yeah. playing this game, so it's like football with cars, really easy to understand. Yeah, and yeah. someone is beating me and they just put, quit the game, stop playing, you suck, right? And then I was like, this is really annoying. So I sat up and started concentrating and I started to beat them. And then I just, I just copy pasted all their messages they were sending me, but back to them. <laughs> I, just, I just in between like matches when it was reset, I just copied their messages back to them. And then they went ballistic, all caps, telling me to have sex with every member of my family, just going absolutely insane and then quitting because they couldn't stand they couldn't cope with the ethic of reciprocity shining right back wow. at them they have had done to them as they did unto others and it upset them right to their very core so you're saying you need to a, a true socialist game would be one that would be i'm saying i am unconvinced like that. that you could get rid of this base superstructure problem in a game where people are playing with each other oh man that's the challenge okay so not about i mean we're drifting slightly into video games here which i didn't necessarily want to do but it is this podcast so have you ever played overcooked yeah i know overcooked okay so overcooked, overcooked brings up another real problem of human incompetence <laughs> yeah right okay so overcooked is a cooperative video game where you are little chefs on the screen and you all control these different chefs the best way to win is to specialize and be like okay you are going to work on the chopping station and you are going to work on the frying station and you all have to keep an eye on what orders are coming in it's very stressful as working in an actual kitchen is very stressful i imagine i have had sessions of those game i'm hanging out with people who have all got very good kind personalities and socialist credentials most of the time and then (laughs) most of the time and that game has turned them which is a cooperative game like the enemy is just you have to cook the thing yeah (laughs) i going fucking nuclear each other about where the fuck are the cucumbers i thought you were doing the onions Yeah, yeah right that game is a sulk factory i have sulked a lot 
due to other people's, well, other people's unfair criticisms of my cooking, but also <laughs> my own private reflections of my behaviour towards other people because of their cooking. <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's something... Um, I don't know. I think even if, because that's taken out the uh, competitive element because you're just working together against a common foe. And it doesn't and seem still, to solve it, yeah. My game concept is the concept class war. Okay. And it's like a card game. There's two sides and you can either be the working class, the proles, or uh, the ruling class. Okay, so you, are you choosing easy mode or hard mode? Is that? Well, this is the thing. There's so many problems with it because, you know, you know I was like, oh, well, a good structure for a game is that maybe... Each side starts with a certain number of hit points, like the capitalist starts with 20 hit points and the, the workers start with 20 hit points and the goal is to knock out the other person's hit points. But of course, in reality, the capitalist would have 500 hit points and you would have two. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, that's not a fun game. Um, I imagine like sets where it's just kind of one scenario. So you have like the workplace set, the workplace pack, uh, and you have the two sides are the workers and the bosses. And then instead of having, so in a lot of card games, you have like guys that you play, you know, like you have, you play Charizard or you play Sephiroth, right? <laughs> you, those are the guys. Uh, those are the guys. <laughs> and they, and they damage the other person's guys. Right. But I'm, I, I think have like, uh, have like moves, the worker side, they have like union strategies. So they have like work to rule or sick in or, Go slow or... Dirty protest. Dirty protest. You talk a shit in the canteen. So just to explain what these things are, just in case you don't know. So a sick in is where you kind of do a strike without doing a strike. You just get everyone to phone in sick on the same day. Work to rule. Work to rule is my actual favourite one. Work to rule is the best it's one. Because like, it's, it's got it's this trolling. weird pedantry to it that I find really <laughs> yeah, satisfying. Exactly. Work to rule is when you are now going to completely destroy your job's ability to operate by actually obeying your contract. You only do what I stipulated in your contract, but because so many jobs, in fact, all jobs, I would go so far as say jobs. all jobs require a lot of labor, a lot of time, a lot of time you're doing stuff that you're not even being paid for. But if you, what you have signed legally is to do the things that is listed in this document, have a contract. So you just do that. So it's perfectly legal but no job can function that way. No workplace can function that way. Uh, go slow is, so you're not on strike, but you just do things either a bit shit or literally just slower. Um, good work strike. You basically do your job better, but fuck up the boss at the same time. So, you know, like if you work in a, ho a hospital that's in a private healthcare thing, you'd like give people the medicine they need, but don't write it up anywhere so no one gets billed. Right. And then monkey wrenching is just... Uh, term for sabotage which is pretty obvious picketing i feel like with our minds we could come up with like action short of strike stuff which is way more like unheard of like everyone goes into work but they all pretend they've got amnesia <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs to be retrained <laughs> everyone pretends that they just have never met the boss before every time they meet sorry who are you <laughs> And then, and then, and on the other side, the ruling class side, they can do stuff, you know, union busting strategies. Yeah, so they can good. try and get people to scab. They can try and uh, give individuals better paying conditions in order to abandon other people. They can micromanage organizers to try and make them, you know, more frustrated and pick them up. You know, you've been one, you were one minute, 30 seconds late. I'm going to write you up. They can do captive yeah. audience meetings. A captive audience meeting is when your employer forces you to stay into a meeting where they just, 
talk to you and tell you their side of the argument and they, they could do that all day you know like in work hours yeah. love letters where they they send you a thing about how much they love you as workers we could have expansion packs which add increasingly bizarre things to the bosses like they summon a demon that can possess one of the workers that would be very strong is the demon <laughs> yeah, that good might at be the OP. job <laughs> Uh, there's two different cards. There's one where the demon's good at the job and one where the demon's bad at the job and they're different. Yeah, they require different amounts of your blood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, ritual sacrifice, goats, which replaces all the workers with trained goats that you don't have to pay. It's sort of funny that we pick goats rather than just actual mechanisation. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, what's the condition for winning the game or losing the game? Well, that's the thing, right? I think the simplest way to make it is you... Uh, you know, you each have a number of points, let's say 20 hit points or power points, whatever you want to call them. And certain moves can damage that and decrease it. So you want to get your opponent to zero. But there's also things you can do which can sort of raise your points or whatever. And victory is public ownership or the workers become the owners of the factory if the workers win. And if the boss wins, the workers just will never, ever question the boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what happens? You just play out your mad cards and just see if you've got a deck that will beat the other person. It's just, it's Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, well, I, I can go into the mechanics of the actual game, but it, <laughs> I, I don't. So you've got, you've got a game with loads of complicated rules, but you actually don't want to go into it on the podcast that you've designed it for because it's too dry. Okay, listen. So <laughs> I started doing this a couple of weeks ago um, and I accidentally designed this extremely complex uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you. In the real card game, there's no fucking points because that mechanic doesn't make any sense. And it's much more similar to an asymmetric card game called Android Netrunner, which has two sides where it's like hackers versus corpse in a kind of cyberpunk future. And explaining the rules and mechanisms of that without actually yeah. seeing the cards or seeing someone play it uh, would not only be unpleasant to listen to but possibly unpleasant to actually just discuss although i could discuss it but i don't think wouldn't fly yeah (laughs) i don't think it would fly so i understand your criticisms um i take them on board and uh, my 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 riposte is that i am explaining a version of the game that i myself have rejected (laughs) wow perfect and also Android Netrunner is a game that I became dimly aware of and decided not to learn how to play because life's too short. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're going to have to put all this in because I don't know how to get out of it. People love parenthetical apologies, explanations and justifications. (laughs) Do they? Better than than the main content. I think (laughs) our lot do, yeah. They're a big parentheses crowd. (laughs) Bracket heads. Other other packs, uh, uh, so you've got the workplace one, which is Union versus Boss. We've got Renters. Where the, the other guys are the landlords. Yes, that's pretty The good. Labour Party. Oh, boy. Which is an attempt. Oh, with just two sides of the Labour Party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe the idea of a game to teach these things actually could work. You're playing against each other, but it, it's very clear that one side is good and one is bad. Like when you're playing playground role play games, mm. you know you've got to pick someone to be it. No one wants to be it. Yeah, or well, you know, cops and robbers, right? I can't remember who we valorized in cops and robbers. <laughs> is the one person the hero? If someone's robbed. That's not great. But someone else is the cops, and we don't like the cops either. So it's just this really morally neutral running around game. <laughs> There's no story, and there are no heroes. It's just the cruel indifference universe represented through running. <laughs> Yeah, it's never clear what's been robbed with cops and robbers. Yeah. Have they taken bread to feed their hungry child? Yeah, it's never Les Miserables, is it? <laughs> <laughs> we never played that in Playground. 
cops and robbers, British bulldogs, or picking up ants and chucking them onto spiders' nests and seeing the spiders eat the ants. <laughs> you ever do that? No, that's fucked. <laughs> I was a fucked up kid. I loved that. I had like a year where I'm like, that's my main game. <laughs> <laughs> And then I developed crippling arachnophobia. I oh, want <laughs> fuck. I did see my when when I was like fourteen. I saw my uncle burn a wasp's nest. Yeah, how? Petrol. Like sloshed it on from a canister and sloshed then sloshed it a on, match. let it got chased by wasps. Oh, the wasps just came yeah, out. Yeah, they want to be wet or on fire. Real fucking mad. Right. So it wasn't like a tried and true thing. It was like this will probably sort it. Yeah. Was he okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that should be the socialists the bosses versus workers game right there <laughs> you can work out in your own heads who's who <laughs> previously on class war the card game the anime arthur a child possessed by a powerful wizard who is really great at class war the card game has triumphed over many foes who are not possessed by wizards who have played the game since 3000 BC. Our hero is almost world champion, but Arthur must now duel his greatest challenger yet, Maggie. Not only does Maggie have the most powerful deck anyone has ever seen, someone's got dosh for booster packs. The wizard within Arthur suspects Maggie is also possessed by the demon Baphomet. And Baphomet is also really good at class war the card game. And now, the conclusion. <laughs> oh, Arthur, it's not going to just be a loss for you. It's going to be a loss for the working class. I don't think so, love. See, you need the working class. You're not without us. You need workers to make profit. But by bringing us together, we can organise. We can unite. No! <laughs> Without capitalism, without us, Hugh would still be peasants, rolling around in the mud, scrounging for potatoes. We created the working class, and we can just as easily destroy you. If you created the working class, then you created your own gravediggers. Your fall and the victory of the proletariat are equally inevitable. Be careful, Arthur. I sense great evil in you. Yes, wizard. She seems a right nasty fucker. Okay, it is time to duel. Because I won the coin toss, I get to choose the arena of play. I choose... Orgreave Cokeworks. Ha! Big mistake. That's our turf. Look out, Arthur. She's up to something. As you chose the arena of battle, I play the first card. I choose Triple Alliance, when the unions in coal, steel and rail are bound to support one another. Together, we will take you down. Ah, a predictable move. Do you think your little alliance will hold when I do this? No. Bugger. That's right. It's anti-union law. Using this, I can ban industrial action unless it's expressly in the financial interest of those workers. My alliance card. She's destroyed it. She's outlawed solidarity. Our greatest strength has become a crime. Don't forget, as the ruling class player, I also get to play a second card. I've always hated that rule. I use MI5 wreckers. I'm going to send my lads into the steelworks and mess up one of their machines. Now the steelworks needs coal, or they're going to have to shut down. Well, they're not going to get it. I play one of the greatest cards in my deck. Mass picket. You're not getting past these lads. Such brave boys. 
Let's see how they fare against my next card. South Yorkshire Police. The lads can handle a few Yorkshire hogs. Have you forgot about my second card? That's right. The army. Ah, that's suicide. If the people see you using the army to crush a peaceful protest, you'll be labelled a dictator. I'll get a popularity boost in my next move. Arthur, look. Guess again, Arthur. As you can see, I have played the army card face down next to the South Yorkshire police card, so they look like policemen. No one will ever know. No! How is this possible? Unfortunately, it's a perfectly legal ruling class player move, Arthur. But don't give up. The working class will never surrender. I play my next card, Moral High Ground. My pickets will never draw first blood. You can't attack a peaceful protest and come out on top. Well played, Arthur. Even if her cops and squaddies attack now, they'll look like thugs. <laughs> the Moral High Ground. What a useless card. I play Medieval Horse Charge. Let's see how peaceful your pickets stay now. You are charging a peaceful protest. They didn't start it. And I play my second card, State Broadcaster. My God. What's wrong, wizard? If the people see the pickets get attacked... Watch other. <laughs> I place my State Broadcaster card on your Moral High Ground card, adding it to my side of the battlefield. When the footage goes out, it'll show my medieval horse charge as a response to the picket's attack. But that is the opposite of what happened. There's nothing we can do, Arthur. She has destroyed all our most powerful cards. We are finished. The working class are defeated, and you have lost this class war. The card game. No! I have one more card to play. You are defeated, Arthur. Resign. It's over. I play a card with power beyond imagining, with power so great even you cannot stand against him. Blue Eyes White Dragon. No! The prophecy, it has come to pass. My Blue Eyes White Dragon flies into Parliament and whips every MP to repeal your anti-union laws. It uses its powerful dragon mind to beam the truth through the BBC into everyone's mind. Finally, my blue eyes white dragon joins the picket, swooping down over the squaddies and cops. Its flaming magic breath sears the flesh from their bones. It's over. We are victorious. No! A wizard's power inside of me to fight the bourgeoisie. The locomotive of history with shiny Len McCluskey. The question asked by everyone, what is to be done? Through the barrel of a gun, the class war must be won. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella G. Additional music from Jack Evans. This episode also featured the voice work of Nicola Redman as Maggie and Chris Cantrell as Arthur. Escape the North, the interactive role-playing game which features both me and Sean, starts this Friday, October the 23rd. Why not follow us at twitch.tv slash escape the north? Thanks for listening. See you next time. Well, I can't see, I can't see you.